Year of Bad Sex, written and read by me, Jonathan Izard. Part 29. Where were we? Oh yes, speaking of age. Well, I got a message from my GP to say I qualified, being so not young, for a flu jab. I rang to make an appointment and was told I could go in straight away. God, I love the NHS. I saw a nurse I hadn't met before. Janice, love. The politest term for her manner would be old school. Janice fussed over me, invited me to sit down, and clucked about with a computer, moving the mouse excessively, as if she were a child with a toy car. She found my details and muttered, So, let's see, flu jab, date of birth, oh! Shame it's not like Tinder, where you can pay extra to be ageless. She turned to me, took off her glasses, and let them hang on their chain. So, she mouthed, upping the decibels just a tad, Have you had any falls recently? No, I said. Are you sure? She upped them further. I'm sure, I said, wanting to add, not since I was eight years old and Christopher Runnynose pushed me off a swing. We established a few more facts and then she asked me to roll up my sleeve. It was too tight to give her access, so I slipped my shirt off. Oh, she gasped, looking at my bare torso, as if she had never seen a half-naked man in the rest of her nursing career. Hairy chest, Monday's best! just a little scratch, and she jabbed the needle into my deltoid. Because of your, well, you're in a category that's also eligible for a pneumonia inoculation, but we've run out, I'm afraid. Come back at the end of the week and we can sort that out for you. Bye for now. I should have challenged her. What the hell? Monday's what? Why? It wasn't even a Monday. Over the next few days I kept ruminating about the puzzle. Monday's best? I thought maybe she had said, hairy chest, nature's vest. Now that would make sense. But she didn't. Did she? Should I get my hearing checked too? I googled both versions. Nothing. At the end of the week I went back and saw Janice again. Oh, she seemed startled to see me. You came back then? For the pneumonia jab. You said I should. Oh, you're not like most men then, doing as you're told. I bridled. I think that's the word. But I spoke slowly and reasonably, as I would to a class of year sevens. Some people are compliant, Janice, and some are not. Some of both groups are male, and some female. I don't think it's fair to make generalizations based on gender. She blinked at me. Well, you're not like my husband. You have a husband, I thought. Poor man. Anyway, right. Have a seat while I just... She did the glasses, computer, mouse surprise routine once more. So you're... Let's see... Oh! A year younger than me! In which case, all this patronising crap about my age was even more insulting. Just roll up your sleeve for me, my dear! This time I was dressed in looser fabric for the occasion and obliged. Perhaps I should have been in skin-tight lycra, so I'd have to remove it and see if that prompted her to deliver her catchphrase again. I've never been offered this jab before, I said. Is it important to have it? Oh, yes! You see, dear, as people get older, they can have falls and be lying there for ages and ages unattended. That's when you can get fluid on the lungs, leading to pneumonia. Now you'll be protected from all that. 
she put a tiny plaster on my arm. There now. Remind me, dear, have you had any falls recently? I wanted to shove her over and say, no, dear, have you? Mind you, Janice's words didn't roll off my Teflon-coated skin. Like the inoculation, they prompted a reaction to fight off a threatened condition, in this case, fear of mortality. I was concerned that this employment rebranding was the step onto the final escalator, the one that leads to death. Without any job to go to, let alone two, would I be useful, or just be killing time until time killed me? Do good, have fun, be brave. I decided these were my essential rules for life. Two of them are easier than the third. Courage is hard to find sometimes. I'd been having a few mental health days, real doldrums time. Angry, too, inexplicably. I felt so alone. So low. And so low. Not the best mood for a hookup, but Diego, the Spanish chef, bubbled back to the surface once more, like gnocchi in boiling water. I'd been forced to cancel our excursion to the sex club because of flu. This time we agreed. Friday at 6pm. Drink, massage, vault. I confirmed what his favourite tipple was and got some good red wine. Table up, oil and towels and wine all warming, me clean and waiting. At 6.30 I sent a message to remind him all was set. No reply. Fuck. Ing. Bass. Tud. What's Spanish for another bloody time-waster? Jesus effing Christ! That same evening I started chatting to a guy from Mallorca called Miguel, doing theatre studies in West London. Told him I'd been stood up by the flaky chef who'd been due for a massage. Massage? Ooh, I'd love a great massage, etc., etc. And would it be... We went through what it would be and wouldn't be and what it might be if he wanted it to be. We set up the date for Sunday evening at eight o'clock. And on Sunday afternoon, I had a message from Majorcan Miguel. Sorry, just remembered I have a rehearsal tonight. No, he didn't. Bastard. Next day, I had a text from Diego. Sorry, got busy. Three words? What kind of apology was that? Not one that would get any response from me. Three days later, Rafik also failed to appear without explanation, and then Dixon did likewise. It was a torrid, arid, soul-almost-destroying period. But I wasn't to be defeated by these non-tossing tossers. A blind impetus, my appetite for physical fun, drove me on. However, as autumn hunkered down into winter and November arrived, I couldn't have known it, but there would be two more months until everything was transformed. Until this year of bad sex, and all the other kinds I'd been sharing, the funny, silly, embarrassing, tender, pointless, touching, delightful, and intriguing sex, would morph into another unanticipated landscape. Two more months, and twenty more men. Everything in my life had begun to feel pointless and absurd. I left the BBC as intended 37 years after I'd broadcast my first news bulletin. At one minute past midnight, on the last day of the month, I pressed send on my resignation email. I liked the drama of that. Former psychotherapist, former journalist. Less doing, more being. The enormity of the changes seemed overwhelming. Even my plans for travel were too much to contemplate. Cuba, Brazil, Vietnam, Mexico. It felt too vast a project to manage. 
I recalled when my mum had said, "'We won't be going abroad any more.' It must have been the time when she had become aware of Dad's dementia, but was still hiding the extent of it from us. Their world began to shrink to holidays in the UK, then discovering Warwickshire days. After that there were trips into the village, carefully managed to avoid embarrassment or distress, and finally negotiating the stairs was the challenge. Had my world similarly begun to contract? I ordered more drugs from Yanis, but he didn't get back to me. It's a bad sign when even your dealer ghosts you. Not good for the ego. A message from Ridley in Derbyshire included this. I love the way you always tell me what you're doing, but never ask me. Shit, was that true? I was shocked and hurt, and angry with myself that it probably was. I was a selfish bore. I replied, in typical therapist's fashion, that when he said he loved that, I wondered if in fact he meant the opposite. I also apologised for not being more curious. A few minutes after sending the text, I realised I still hadn't asked how he was doing. I sent another one to ask. Ridley had been a potential hook-up I'd never hooked up with. There was nothing sexual between us, and I really wasn't looking for more friends. So was I really such a cynical, insensitive soul, or merely pragmatic? Was I self-centred, self-obsessed, or, after listening to clients' material for decades, was I allowing myself to speak more? But I recognised that trait from Mum, and I didn't want to be that way. Perhaps she found it easier to talk than to listen, was a phrase I included in the eulogy for the vicar to speak at her funeral, when I was invited not to whitewash and be realistic. I still wince at the memory. It sounded and felt mean and petty, unkind, something she would never have been. Everything was tinged with sadness, a melancholy dying fall. Oliver and I had a call on Skype, always so relaxed and easy, but under the surface was the voice that was loving him, wanting him. "'Twas ever thus, me offering more than he wanted, me wanting more than he offered. Commitment. Was that the word? Front foot and back foot. Imbalance. He told me he'd got a new job in Vancouver. Now, I thought, he can put down roots, buy an apartment, settle down into a long relationship. A job, a man, a life. That was what it said on my blackboard shopping list years ago, in the kitchen of my house. I used to joke about it, but they were real aspirations. I got the job, I got the man, I had a life. And now, no man, no jobs. And the life? I wasn't sure. I told him I was struggling, feeling empty and baffled. The looming freedom was unsettling, the lack of structure left me flummoxed and flustered. I felt worthless. This, just as Oliver, was moving in the opposite direction, from the floating lack of gravity and long-term unemployment to the anchor of a job and yet feeling restricted by that prospect. The other man's grass and all that. Things were spiralling down. Then came a boost at yoga. As I sat on my mat, waiting for the class to start, not chatting to anyone and feeling more antisocial than I ever had with no clothes on, it's usually such a leveller and ice-melter, a young guy came in. He was shy, covering his groin as he walked down the room to take a place. Next to me? No. Someone else sneaked in, so he was too away from me. Over the next hour and a half I had to sneak glances his way, subtly I hoped, but doubted, and I liked what I saw. There was a little bit of partner work, but I was too slow to grab him. I tried to chat with him as we dressed, but he didn't really respond. I left and hung around, expecting to see him leave too. A few of the others did, but he didn't. 
I started to build a fantasy of what was happening in there. People chatting, laughing, swapping numbers, hugging and kissing, having sex. My mind was in overdrive. I decided to go back in with a pretense of having mislaid my watch. I took it off and put it in my back pocket. I began to fold up my bike, ready to go back inside. He came out. He hovered on the pavement near the door for a while, long enough for me to start a conversation. Yes, he had enjoyed the class. Yes, it was his first time. His name was Dean, and he'd never been that confident about his body. Really? I said. But you've got a great body, I said, bang on cue. He worked in the NHS, came from a Jamaican family and was out at home, but not at work. He didn't ask much, anything really, of me, but he said he'd quite like to come to the naked swim, although not for a week or so as he was working nights. I told him I'd tried to work with him in the partner's routine, but had been too slow. He didn't rise to the flirt. He was gentle and polite and attractive, although there was something funny going on around his mouth, an oddly alluring asymmetry. I wanted to touch his face. As we parted, I gave Dean my number. Later that evening he texted to say it was nice to meet me. I said we should have gone for a drink, but anyway we could swim together after his nights. Great, he replied. I'd like that. At the swim that week there was nobody of particular interest, either mates or potential shags, so I did much more swimming than shallow-end nattering. Radical. I didn't go for the usual brunch with the boys, as I was due home to host Angelo and A.N.Other. I had to call him that because Angelo didn't know his name. "'Eh, Mr. Jonty,' he said a day or two earlier, "'I have met a man—' "'Oh, yes.' "'For us to share.' "'Tell me more.' "'I was on Clapham Common.' "'Were you, Angelo? Accidentally, of course, and—and I met him. Not just him. There were four others, maybe five. What? I was on my knees. I was their bitch.' He said it all so tamely, as if describing last night's TV, but all in his strong Italian accent which added a layer of filth to the blandest of statements. He really can be a dirty little whore at times, and I mean that as a compliment.' The mud was terrible, terrible, all over my jeans and my boots. When I got home I had to wash everything. I'm sure you did, Angelo. And this one guy? He was the nicest of them all. At least I see his face. The others had hoodies. I got his number, and he wanted to come for a forehand massage. Okay. I think you will like him. I hadn't heard any reason yet why I should, but I was fond of Angelo and wouldn't deny him that threesome. Angelo did the liaising, and the two of them were due at my place the following evening. Showered and trimmed, table, towels, oils, and expectations were all set. There was a buzz. I let them in, and waited for them to come up in the lift. As soon as I saw my, my, dolce uomo with the third party, I thought, what? Why would you think I'd fancy him? He's close to my own age. You know what I like. Oh, well, maybe he has a great body, fantastic cock, and stunning personality. Nought out of three. Cock, so-so. Body, uh-oh. Personality, no-no. We chatted over drinks to get in the mood, but the mood became distinctly darker and less horny as the chat progressed. It turned out he was a plumber from Bosnia, and his name was Ayub. Angelo had several stabs at that, but never quite got his tongue around it. Ayub? Yob? A job? Ayub was married to a woman, but had casual sex with men three times a day, if I can, as he put it. He said his wife had no idea about that, because he would lie to her on a daily basis about his shift times. 
He worked odd hours on various contracts, so fooling her was easy. "'Do you think she does similar things behind your back?' I asked him, feeling suddenly protective of her and wanting to acknowledge her autonomy. He looked appalled. "'No, she's faithful to me.' It wasn't even the behaviour, the admission, or the hypocrisy. It was the arrogance of his manner that disgusted me. Is that when I should have asked him to leave? We finished our drinks and moved to the massage. It was correct and unexceptional, a physical routine that had no soupçon of sensuality for me. I was doing this because Angelo wanted it, and I wanted to please Angelo, still clinging to the delusion that he might see me in a new light. Ayub didn't respond to our cocks when we let them fall into his open palms, but then, as we finished the treatment and suggested a move onto the bed, he came to and began to respond, but only to Angelo. He wasn't interested in me one jot, and didn't pretend to be, didn't even bother with the polite thing of giving me just a tiny bit of attention. Nothing. I offered him a kiss. No response. I sucked his cock. He didn't suck mine, or even touch it. But then neither did he touch Angelo's. All he wanted to do was kiss him and bite him. Yes, bite him. On the arm, the leg, the chest, the cheek, the lip, and the nose. Not soft nibbles, but sharp nips, like a snappy dog. Then big, snarling mouthfuls, too. Angelo cried out in pain. Oh, stop it! Don't do that! Ayub just laughed and would desist for a few minutes as we tried to continue some kind of sexy interaction, but then, "'Oh, I no, Mr. Jonty, he's biting me again. Is there a mark?' I checked Angelo's nose. Yes, there was a definite red line, where Ayub's teeth had gnawed at him. Is that when I should have told him to leave? I didn't. I told him to stop, and said he was a bad man. What a wuss. He also wanted to fuck Angelo, rubbing himself on Angelo's butt-crack, and wasn't taking no for an answer.' even though Angelo and I told him no several times, very clearly. It wasn't funny, as Ayub thought. It was bad manners, unwelcome and disturbing, moving up the scale to alarming. I was glad there were two of us and one of him. Even so, it was worrying that he could be such a pig-brained moron. Was he dangerous or just stupid? Stupid is dangerous too. This clearly was the time I should have thrown him out, this wannabe Hannibal Lecter. We carried on for a while, trying to keep it sexual as well as manage the danger. While attempting to penetrate Angelo, Ayub came. That triggered Angelo's orgasm. He came in my mouth. We lay and talked for a short time. I should definitely have brought things to a close at this point, but Angelo was hard again. I sucked him again. He came in my mouth again. We talked some more. Angelo got hard and came for a third time. Yes, there, again. Ah, oh, to be twenty-four again. I hadn't come once, but I didn't give a toss about having a toss. I just wanted this to be over and to be able to ask Angelo, What the fuck? Why did you ever think that was a good idea? What was it about the egocentric, malevolent, cannibalistic sadist that attracted you that night on your knees in the mud? I showered, and just as he left, he criticised the plumbing in my bathroom. Yes, that's right, he criticised my plumbing. I'd get rid of the bath and open up that whole area for a wide shower, make a proper wet room. It would look much better than that cheap job you've got in there. Those tiles, are they Ikea? Oh, fuck off, you nose-biting dickwad! He and Angelo walked to the tube together. I checked Angelo was okay with that, and I was very clear that my standard let me know when you've got home safely to him was not just a glib expression. I needed a reply. I went to the gym and enjoyed that more than the sex, much more. Angelo messaged to say he was home, alone 
and told me that on the walk to the station Ayub, Abi, Yabba, Ibor, had said, You could be my special boy. Angelo had laughed that starlet laugh of his and walked away. Good boy. My Year of Bad Sex is written and read by me, Jonathan Izard. Music and studio production are by Andy Mills. My Year of Bad Sex is a Protocol production.